uh, hi, Mike. Hey. How are you today? Good. Not too bad. Is that is that how you're going to sound today? That's how I always sound. Yeah. Okay. I'm like Emo Phillips. Uh, that name kind of rings a bell. He's the one who talks with weird intonation or inflection or something. Oh, is he like that comedian? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. So we were in San Francisco last week. Now we're back in Minnesota. No. Well, for certain values of we. Um, sure. Yes. You were here. We put phosphor out and everyone loved it. Yeah. It's been good. We shipped an app. We shipped two updates. There's a new scope box. There's a new clip ramp. We got Mission Chinese. Herkman. Herkman Gretical. Yeah. Um, if you haven't checked out any of these things yet, you should. Divergentmedia.com. Um, and if you have checked out Phosphor, we would really appreciate a review on the App Store, um, especially a positive review. But if you have thoughts on things you'd like to see changed, you can let us know those things as well. Yes. That's true with ClipRap, too. Yes, that is true. But yes. Except for reviews. Um, absolutely. And if you have so much goodwill towards Scopebox that you would like to buy a copy of either of those two apps and give it a five-star review, we'll accept that as well. Also, very much appreciated, yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Buy your neighbor a copy, have them review it or review it in absentia for them. <laughs> um, so yeah, people started using it or playing around. We'll, um, maybe at some point in the future, we can do a roundup of some of the ways we're seeing it used. Um, but for now I think we're, yeah, excited to see where it goes. So is this, can you hear me on my mic? Am I on mic enough? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm so. trying to, trying to stand, sit up straight for my stupid Lumo. So you, you bought a Lumo at Macworld. Yeah. What is a Lumo? It's uh, like a, it's like one of those weight belts, but instead of helping you lift things, it just nags you all day about standing up straight. <laughs> um, and it does nag a lot. So it's like a it's like a Fitbit but in a belt and the belt is just an accelerometer and so it knows which way it's facing and if it's not facing the right way it assumes that's because you're slouching and then it vibrates to tell you you're slouching. And is but this okay. as far as I can tell, I don't have a position that is straight enough for Lumo. <laughs> so in just every minute it just vibrates a little. Is this something you leave on all the time or you just put it on when you sit down or I've been kind of, I don't know, I can only do like an hour of it a day before I'm like in too much pain (laughs) to stand up straight anymore. Um, I have a feeling I've neglected certain posture muscles over the years. Does it, does it have any sort of, um, value add type things like a pedometer or or is it strictly the value? It does, but it doesn't, I don't understand exactly how that works. There's an app, there's an iPhone app, which is why I had to buy a new iPhone. Um, yeah, there's lots of problems with this whole you coming to town thing. (laughs) Um, we got mission Chinese though. Yeah, we did. It was very good. Yeah. Oh, it just told me it told me that I'm doing well, and it knows I'm not. It's not easy, but I should keep it up. Well, that's nice of it. Yeah, my Fitbit uh, is mad at me today, but my Pebble is happy with me. So we're all. Oh God! 
We're like the worst people on the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I got my pebble. And I heard. Is it good? Yeah, I mean, it will be someday. Have, do you, have you had to charge it yet? No, no. I've got like a good couple days left. Wow. Uh, but it uh, it works like out of the box. It paired with my phone. Um, it displays the time. It displays. So this is using messages. the fancy new Bluetooth yeah. that can actually stay on for a while. Yeah, Bluetooth four. They say they're predicting between five and seven days of battery life. I think. Okay, and then it just tells you the time, like a watch. Yeah, doesn't actually know the time. It checks your phone for the time. No, it has an internal clock. Um, so right now the other things it does is it can control your music playback on the phone so either the built-in app or instacast or any of those apps Um, so it has a touch it has it has three buttons on one side and one on the other so a sort of click a back a forward and then an up and a down okay um it has alarms, it has, you know, you can choose different watch faces, and then it pushes notifications, so when you get a text message or a phone call, uh, they're displayed on the watch, you can... How does it do that? Um, there's a part of the Bluetooth API. So anything with Bluetooth can support getting all your notifications from yeah. your phone? Yeah, yeah. Now, was there a pairing process for this? Uh, yep, just like any other Bluetooth device, uh, you went in and paired with it. Now, does that happen programmatic? Because I didn't pair with my Lumo at all. Well, so there's another, because, yeah, there is a second type of Bluetooth connection, I guess, that doesn't require pairing. I forget what that's called because it's the same with the Fitbit that you don't have to pair that um, because that's all handled in software space, like Mm. in user space. Um, With the Pebble, because it has to get system notifications, it has to be paired at the system level. Okay, because I was going to say, like, if I can just go around getting everyone's notifications in their room. But, okay, different things. Yeah. I'm, Um, I'm with you. And then, yeah, so they have an app then to upload watch faces to the device and to um, manage some of the interaction, I guess. Um, and then they're talking about, in the future, having a lot more more app-type uses for the, for the, the SDK. Watch. Yep, they've got an SDK. and They have one? Yeah. Ah. Oh. So, what are you going to make? I don't know. I haven't really looked into it yet. So far, I mean, it's it's nice. It's sort of like uh, slightly smaller than the you know the TikTok sort of model, which is to put right. an older iPod Nano in your on your wrist. Uh, smaller than that, it's it's been a long time since I've worn a watch, so I'm still getting used to that. But uh, mostly for now, I'm excited just about the notifications. Um, that'll be cool. So, do you have? It's black and white, right? It's like ink. Yeah. Well, it's not ink. It's actually an LCD. Oh. Um, I think originally they were talking e-ink, but then they found a screen from someone who was making these screens just for watches that are mm. um, transflective, so they can so it's backlit or reflective. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Huh. And, it, well, I mean, I hope they do well, and I hope they um, eventually put Phosphor out of business. The watch company who's competing with us on Twitter. <laughs> for that's that's word. good. That's sort of playing a long game, but uh, no, I mean you know that's why you bought one, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Um, so yeah, well, I'll keep you informed. But hey, I got I got a physical like technical item from Kickstarter. This is the first. Really? I got my things last week. Yeah, I think I showed them to you. They're tiny. They're little Arduinos. I'd gotten uh, my chocolate, 
but that was about about it. This is the first actual piece of electronics. So. And you ordered that what, like two and a half years ago? The Pebble? I think it was only about uh, a year ago. Hmm, that's not too bad. I think so. So you ordered after your espresso machine? Yeah. 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 Huh. So. Huh. Yeah. I can't complain so far. It tells me the time. It's 3-6 right now. It's 3-6? Well, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do a great job of telling the time. Uh, yeah. So, um, a couple of video codec things this week. Yeah. H265 is a standard. I guess this was last week. It's ratified. Yes. Stratified. The ITU was all like, go forth and stream 4K video on the internet. They stamped it. Yes. So I have not seen anything. I've not found a good article for this, except for the one. I think I scanned it and sent it to you. It's like a Simpty article mm-hmm. back when it was just called HGVC. Um, but I don't think that's available on the internet anymore. I'm not sure where you can get good information about this codec. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly limited right now, given that this is like a big I mean, deal. There's not a lot of great information about 264 either, but... It's like 264, only it does more stuff. It just has more features. Right. And so it can get more efficiency at the cost of more encode and decode time. Right. Yeah, we've talked a little bit before, but the goal was to be half the bit rate of H.264 at the same quality, which is a noble goal indeed. Which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I assume they're just going to keep doing that forever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cutting it in half? Yep. Nice. They never get to their destination. Um, Firefox is adding H.264 as of this summer, but it's in the nightly builds right now on Windows. Yay. So I here's what I don't get. Why? I mean, okay. That's cool. They were, you know, took them a long time to get around to it. Um, but what does that mean? Why is it Windows only? Because uh, they're using, like, a system-level thing to do so they don't have to license a decoder, I think. Right, but why not OSX then? Well, I think OSX will be coming. They just haven't done it yet. Okay. Okay. I It sounded to me like it was just going to be Windows. I mean, I get why they're never going to do Linux. Right. Although, whatever. Just give people the option of choosing one of their eight unpatented ones. Yeah, I mean they're looking at um, they're looking at some options for Linux where they could use binaries that were already on the system. They just don't want to ship right. their own decoder. So right. Oh, well, that's good. That solves a lot of the problems. Yeah, I mean it'll be till we all standardize in two six five again. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, at a minimum, you know, it'll mean that you can, in good faith just target H.264 by the end of this year and really not worry about anything else and be targeting every major browser that's shipping. So Right. That's good. Yeah. Um, but you should really be using Phosphor for all that stuff anyways. Exactly. Um, Netflix, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to switch. They got a lot of bandwidth. They, they could None of that pesky problems with Apple in there. Playback and trying to, you can add your own like encryption layer on top. More extensible. Yeah. Do it up. 
seems like a good solution to me. Uh, you know what else would be a good solution? I don't know. They could compress all their videos as vectors. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, this is like... Hey, this this made the rounds a while ago, and now it's making the rounds again. It is a new... Someone's figured out a way to do vector-based encryption. Or, no, I'm sorry, compression. But, um, so I guess the idea is you find all the edges in the image, and then you figure out the... So you have to do it in such a way that an edge bounds a pattern. And then you quantize all your patterns and then just do a, you know, do a bunch of fills to get back your image later. Right. Which, you know, when you say it like that, doesn't sound too bad. Um, and the idea being, you know, the, the thing is everyone talks about how this means we're resolution independent, but... That's only true insofar as you can, like, make up crap to put into that pattern. Right. Well, just like Which anyone... you can do. I mean, the, the nice thing is the edges will always stay crisp. Right. This. Um, and you can in a lot of ways. I mean, the nice thing about this is perceptually most people don't... I mean, the way the human brain works, we don't see anything, really. We just object match and then move on. And so... I could see where there would be a way where you could do this, where eventually you just build up a corpus on people's machines, like brick wall, and then every image, like every movie that ever played with a brick wall, would just use the same brick wall, <laughs> and then you could get great compression, yes. and you could build, you could send out like crazy high res textures, and it would even work. I mean, and people wouldn't even notice, but I don't know. I mean. I don't see a camera shooting this anytime soon, which is what a lot of people seem to think is about to happen. Right, right. But the point is, like, at, at a minimum on the acquisition side, you're going to be acquiring pixels. You know, we, we're not talking about a new sensor technology that somehow... Oh, oh, I've seen people talking about it. Uh, um, and, but it's also, you know, anyone who's worked in, like, Adobe Illustrator knows what you're talking about, which is you can have a vector shape and you can blow it up, but it's... You're not getting more detail. You're just not sort of making it blurry and nasty like you would with a bitmap picture. And it's the same issue here. Like, you know, you can have your vector video at 1080p and you can scale it to 4K and it will look less bad than bitmap 1080p scaled to 4K, but there won't actually be more information in it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, yeah, there could be more information, but it's not going to. Well, it's going to be fake information, right? It's going to be generated information in the same way that, like, you could do this with Wavelet, and it would just make up, you know, it make up data, mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, if that fools people, you know, we're not talking about doing this for scientific imagery. We're talking about doing this for you know blockbuster movies. You can probably get away with throwing some cyan in there, whatever it is, you know, like yeah. mm, te- textured cyan. I mean, there's there's precious little information about this codec at this point that I've seen, and so it's hard to say um, what what it would do with like a swath of real world imagery and. Um, 
They show it right in their press release. It makes it look all trippy. Right. But, I mean, a lot of these... People have done this before in various, you know, both um, for still images and for motion, and they sort of work okay on test cases, and then they completely fall down on complex images or, you know, high noise, high-frequency noise images or other things. Like, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... These these can be very efficient in some cases and massively inefficient in other cases because you end up making a vector per pixel. Right. I mean, there's, you know, like, the human face... Has a lot of detail in it, but no edges. Right. And how you code, you know, those are the, and then like that's the only thing you have to get right with a codec in most cases. Like, if something weird happens in the background, like, who cares? But, you know, the actors, they tend to, you know, people tend to focus on them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. You know, we had a conversation years ago on the podcast, back when we were kids about what the new things could be for codecs and i think we mentioned something vector based but yeah i mean i'll be i'll be really curious my big oh there is a there's a 30 second video yeah i didn't watch that oh i'm not gonna watch it right now but um this is not for tx do not tx this yeah i think it's ironic that it's called smoke and mirrors yeah yeah i mean they're doing a lot of a lot of vectors here. So, I don't know. I mean, it's cool. And maybe there's a potential for a hybrid approach um, where you can use vectors for some elements of a frame or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it will be interesting. I question if it will ever go anywhere. And I also sort of loathe this new model where we release press releases before we release journals right papers um i'm well, sure they'll be at sigraph and i plan on going and i will i want to go um it, it may be this sort of situation as well where it's a perfectly fine technology that works well and never surpasses the rate of innovation on the old-fashioned technologies, you know, think about... I suspect that's what's going to yeah, happen. Think about CISC versus RISC and, you know, the, the way the x86 processor, which is in every way a completely flawed design, has still managed to hold on just by virtue of being out ahead and having a lot of resources beyond it for development. Yeah. I mean, I look at the this, like, one of these frames, and in an 8x8 macro block, they've got at least, you know, that would be 64 pixels there's like 30 vectors in there and a vector has at least four points right (laughs) so you're already done like i don't see where this gets more efficient yeah but hey cool yeah i mean there you know there are some interesting secondary uses for this kind of technology in terms of like adaptive streaming if you have a smart server side component you can you know stream a custom feed for every given bandwidth connection based on network yeah. conditions and everything else because you can strip out high frequency vectors and you know do well, all kinds I, of I stuff. Mean, but if this gets good enough and you can start doing motion estimation on your vectors, that means you can do things like remove objects mm-hmm. and do like content aware scaling. So then you can start having like you know the Coke can shows up on the desk until we stop getting the check from you guys, and then it disappears. Or, you know, 
this is a 16 by nine that instead of pan and scans four by three, you know, we like take out, we move the two actors a little closer together and we, I don't know. I mean, there's interesting things that can be done with this. Yeah. Like I, at display time versus like at churning stuff in the edit time. I know. Yeah. It's neat. I'm glad someone did it. I'm not entirely convinced this is anything new. Mm-hmm. But but they have a nice press release. Well, that's that's a good start. Yeah. Um you have any in in a similar vein, you have any thoughts on this new sensor from Panasonic that they've uh re- did a paper on? I don't know anything about this. Oh. Did I link that or did you? Oh, I guess I must have. I think no, there's a good chance I did. I just don't. I didn't read the article. Okay. <laughs> I just saw it and was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, the the gist is that what they're trying to do is find a sort of uh, happy medium between a three camera or a three chip camera and a single chip Bayer camera by using micro lenses or micro splitters um, on each photo site. So rather than having one big prism that splits your image out into three separate sensors, you have little micro prisms. And um, so because we can make sensors now with lots and lots of photo sites, um, you can do this to get the benefit of, um, you know, best of both worlds, I guess. Um, and, And this is different from... What Sony, for example, has done with well, for what well, I guess what most Bayer cameras have done with um, you know actual micro filters um, because they are actually splitting out the light from each uh, photo site. Right. I mean, the advantage to this, uh, from my understanding, over a conventional one. So a conventional one, you put your you put filters in, which block all but the color you're trying to capture. Right. Right. Which means that like averaged over your entire sensor block, you're blocking like a third to half of all of your light. Right. You're saying, so, you know, that's like a stop. Um, and so this just shunts it to the nearby one that's supposed to be getting that color. So I think, yeah, so you get like, this says like two to three fold sensitivity. Right, right. Which, you know, makes sense because you're getting all those extra photons. Yep. And, and you know, the only problem with it is that you're moving stuff around a little bit, so the focus is going to be a little bit fungy, but, you know, no more than what you get with a standard beta pattern anyways. Right, right. It sounds interesting. I mean, yeah, it's one of these things. You know, I always wonder when we, because we, you, you know, you see these press releases and, and journal articles from time to time about new sensor designs, and rarely do you get to then circle back around and find out when they show up in a shipping product because it's been sort of run through a marketing department at that point and it's become the, you know, Experian sensor or whatever. Um, right. And so, yeah, it would be interesting to know when these actually do hit the market if, um, you know, you can sort of draw a line back from whatever the shipping product looks like to the sensor technology and say, oh, this camera performs better because of this technology. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's smart though. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one, it's another one of these examples of, um, I think this is a type of manufacturing that wouldn't have been possible a few years ago. Uh, my sense is that these sorts of, um, micro filters on photo sites in general is something that's a relatively new reality. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's neat. Yeah. 
Oh, man. What is with... Okay, are you on the same page as me right now? Yeah. What is with the, the ensemble designs ad? Do you have that on the right? Uh, no, I don't. With the guy pretending to be... Oh, God. It's like a video from a trade show where the guy from Ensemble is, like, dressed as Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. Now I've got it. I had to refresh. Ah! I don't even want to click on it. He's a good impersonator. Yeah. Makes me want to buy a scan converter. I wonder I wonder if that's someone from the company or if that's one of those, like, those dillweeds you can order for 20 bucks that they fax you about every time you sign up for an AB. I'm going to go with guy from company who does this in the office as well. Uh, that's what I'm worried about. What if you call, what if you buy one of those and then something goes wrong and you call and you <laughs> send him out to like, you know, to do an onsite, then you'd have to like, uh, you'd have to have lunch with him. That sounds horrible. I'd rather just not scan him. I'd rather just stay SD. <laughs> okay. All Anyways. right. So that ad had its intended effect. Um, <laughs> did you read about curing colorblindness? Is this is so? Is this the thing I was talking about a while ago with the monkeys? Uh, no, no. Okay. And, um, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no. Tell me. Uh, it's a it's a development of um, it's a sort of hypothetical development of a type of lens that's being used for other things right now, um, and I really don't understand how it works. But it is a lens that can make it so that color red green colorblind people can distinguish between red and green. Um, it's all very vague. Um, right now they're using these lenses to visually enhance oxygenated blood and blood pooling. Again, I, I, so they're actually like munging the wavelengths so that they come in at a different color. Right. So the idea is you'll then pick them up with your other cones. Right. And then your brain will just figure it out someday. Yes. That's awesome. Brains are cool like that. (laughs) Apparently, uh, right now, the lenses break other colors, but uh, they think that they can work around that. Um, and they're also developing like windows and light shades and things that would um, do the same thing uh, to change the sort of color, like, in, in, you know, enhanced colors. And I don't know. Oh. It's just I haven't been able to find much about how these actually work and why they're different from just, like, filtered glass. Um, but I gather they are. Like, if there's an amplification... Right, because this isn't just because a filtered glass is basically what's happening now. Right, it's just blocking because you because right now you just don't see red. Right. So what they have to do is move the red somewhere else, and so they just push the red into like a different part of the spectrum. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to distinguish all the colors, but what you will do is start to see details in reds that you didn't see at all. Right. So you actually be able to tell red and green apart, even though you might see them as blue and yellow. So they'll, they'll just get binned somewhere for a change instead of... Huh. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I just, I would like to know more about what the actual science is of how this material works. And I haven't been able to find much of that, that which I assume has... I to assume this has to do with... I mean, they made those like meta materials that could change wavelengths of light mm-hmm. by like they like tiny little basically like mirror tube arrays 
And so as things go through, they sort of uh, bounce against each other and come out in a different wavelength. Yeah. It, like, slows light down slightly. Does that work? Slowing it down? Because red is on the... On the low end, so if you slow it down... No, red's on the high-powered end. So the high high frequency. So it would push it down towards green, blue. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that seems doable. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if anyone has an actual article that explains... Or a pair of them. Well, that too, yeah. (laughs) A pair of these unmade things. No, I gather they've actually made them. They're they're being oh, they have. yeah, they're being used in medical use already for that detecting oxygenated blood or whatever, and they're now proposing them as okay, but they don't have them as contact lenses yet. No, no, not yet. because oh, those I would totally take. Um, yeah, I'd love to know more about what's going on here because they. It, it's just also like it's one of these stories that's very obnoxious because um, you know there are all these articles have pictures of sunglasses with colored lenses and there's no indication that these are actually pictures of the products rather than just sort of this is what glasses look like and so I don't know if you know right yeah interesting so I've been reading this book called uh, I don't know the name of the book or the author. Um, and it's in another room, but it's about like brain functions. Uh-huh. I, I like these like pop, pop neurology books. Yeah. But this one's really good because, so I've decided I need to buy myself and I don't, I should probably wait until I have better, I need to get new health insurance. And then once I'm like locked in and have a solid healthcare for life, then I want to get one of those, you know, those things that they're using in, uh, like academia now to it's like a magnetic helmet thing they can use to like activate or deactivate parts of your brain oh yeah 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 i want one of those so bad yeah for sure those like why do we not have those for drugs yet you mean in in lieu of drugs yeah it's like like the kind of drug you can buy as an attachment for your iphone i don't know that's it can't be illegal Yet, <laughs> I'm saying Kickstarter. I'm, I'm all, I will. I will happily back your Kickstarter project. We for just that, have to so. figure out some way to keep it from being possible to deactivate your brainstem. Because <laughs> that well, I don't think would go well. I don't know. I mean, we just have like a click-through agreement. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if that would be because that would be neat. I because you can like make yourself hallucinate. You can make like. They're pretty good. They know like where this stuff is in your brain now. You, yeah, no, it's it's I like, mean, thanks to the You FMRI. could like hit the button and be like, I want to be hungry. <laughs> Bam. And you'd be like, God, I'm so hungry. Wow. Technology's awesome. Or like I that come on, that's pretty cool. No, I I'm I'm all on board, but uh I hope we could come up with some better uses than making ourselves hungry because there's a whole bunch of people in like sub Saharan Africa who really have issues with that. <laughs> Whatever. They don't get Kickstarter there. Uh, well, um, if you decide to do your Kickstarter and then you need to build this product, uh, you should check out Bunny Hong's uh, series on his blog on how to have electronics made in China. Bunny Hong? Isn't that his last name? His first name is Bunny. Yeah, Bunny Bunny Huang. 
Uh, you Bunny, uh, his real name is Andrew, but he just goes by Bunny, um, has been, he first rose to prominence, I think, when he hacked the original Xbox to make it so you could, you know, get in and run pirate software and do all the other stuff people do with Xboxes. But he, he did the hack in a really hardcore way where he, like, stripped away uh, the casing from the processors and, like, monitored individual traces to find exploits and, I don't know. Like, it was super hardcore. He's an electronics engineer guy, electrical engineer guy. But he did a four-part series on his blog in association with a, with a um, course he's teaching at somewhere, uh, one of the big famous schools, um, on how to have your electronics made in China. Everything from how you should be preparing schematics and figuring out your costs and figuring out your, your bill of materials and picking factories and, you know, doing quality control and everything. Like he really went in depth. Um, and so, Oh, he's teaching it with the MIT media lab. Um, and so it's a really, you know, we've seen some stuff like this before. I read a book a while back about, um, having just general consumer goods made in China. And there've been some higher level things like this from Kickstarter people about having stuff made, but this, it really dives in on like, well, if you need to order capacitors, you can only get them in 3000 unit quantities. And so you need to negotiate with your factory on what happens to the leftovers when you do a 10,000 unit run. And, you know, a lot of stuff that if you're new to this game, you certainly wouldn't think of. Um, but hmm. all these little factors that can make the difference between, profitable and unprofitable manufacturing. Interesting. So definitely worth a read. Uh, we will link to the whole series. I think it's just a, intended as a four part series. Um, and, uh, mm. yeah, fascinating stuff. So yeah, definitely do QC though. Yeah. So my, my Lumo has screen printed right on it. Mad in China. What? It's mad in China. Oh, as in made in. I assume. One assumes. Huh. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's definitely a big issue. And I think that's, um, you know, we've seen with, well, one of the things that uh, uh, Andrew brings up in his article is, you know, you need to think about all of the the, uh, accumulated tolerances throughout your whole pipeline. And I think that's actually something that uh, a project that we both kickstarted, the mini drive project is dealing with now where... Um, they sort of spec their PCB to be a certain size and spec the tray the PCB goes into it to be a certain size. And if both of them were made to exactly that size, everything would fit fine. But of course, there's a slight plus or minus variability on both of those pieces. And they're finding that big numbers of runs from both of those can't be used. Um, right. And so that's one of the you know things from Bunny is to figure out how to calculate how much sloppy leave into that and or you build into that. And you should just do pick and place like Apple does where they match the two perfectly. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure that's realistic when you're not building 40 million of them per quarter. Hmm. Wow. Have they considered an AdWords campaign? <laughs> um, I did get a new iPhone this week, and I think it's even nicer than my last one. Mm. Yeah, I got one too. We both have them now. Oh, yeah. How are you? Fancy. Look at us. You have your iPhone 5. Is it wonderful? It's, yeah, it's phone. Yeah, pretty much. I just, I'm not, you know, I like Siri. Mm-hmm. The first thing I did was got Siri going so that she would write things into my uh, thingy. Um, into OmniFocus. 
Yeah. And that's about all I need. It's, that was a huge improvement over my old life. Yeah. Where I had to type things with my fingers. I don't uh, really, I mean, yeah, phones just to me aren't that, I, I don't know. Like it was interesting sitting, standing at the Apple store while they went and back to, you know, make sure I hadn't dunked my phone in water or anything. Uh, I picked up one of the demo phones and was sort of flipping through the apps and tried some games and stuff. And it's just, I don't even, it doesn't even occur to me like to go out and install apps for fun at this point. Like, uh, um, or to have games on my phone or anything like that. It's just not the way I use that device at this point. So it's sort mm. of just, I'm, it works extremely well almost all the time for the things I need it for. Mm. So that's, that's the iPhone. Yeah. If you had an iPad, you could use it to control final cut X. Did you know that? I did know that. You can you can do that again the second time now. So was the other one? Uh, so that we're talking about a new app called ProCut X, um, which is which a is out or is not out? Is out. Okay. And there's another one called Edit Mode, which is out as well, I believe. Okay. See, I wasn't sure on that one. Um, it seems cool. I don't know. So, what's your take on these control surfaces in general? Is there a threshold at which they ever become useful for editing? I mean, I think we both agree that for color work, a control surface is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, my impression is, so I've had the, you know, back in the days when I edited on a regular basis, I tried out the little contour shuttle thingy and I tried out a trackball and I tried out, you know, various other things. And what it came down to is like, I just never found them faster than the keyboard. And I think that's largely because they were third party add-ons. Mm. Like, when all you're doing is pushing keys, chances are a level of indirection is not going to make things better. Um, Whereas, you know, people have had lots of luck with um, control surfaces for things like DaVinci, but, you know, DaVinci designed a control surface and then wrote software for it. And it means you can, like, do three things at once which is pretty darn, you know what I mean? Like that is what makes it useful. It's like the only time you need more than one place to input data is when you can input more than one piece of data at the same time and they all happen concurrently in the app. Sure. And so this, you know, the problem for me seems, you know, and this is my problem with every single multi-touch editor out there too, like anything that, you know, editors that even run on the iPad is the whole point of multi you know, having an iPad is that you can grab two things at once and move them relative to each other. And until we can do that in our editor, you know, that the software is the limiting factor here, not the, not the interface. Sure. Um, you know, we just need to come up with a new editing paradigm that lets you like move two things at once. Right. And, and see them both somehow which is tough because you're now talking four different points moving in relation to each other i i wonder i mean because i've used the contour shuttle pro as well in the past and um the the primary times i found that useful was and this is way back in the day doing sort of um 
batch logging with DV tapes and using it with the login capture, you know, screen in Final Cut because it was sort of a lean back thing. You know, I had an external monitor, I had a deck, I had my Contour Shuttle Pro. I could sort of scrub and scan and set in and out points and then shoot stuff off to my bin. Um, and that was nice. And I think that was actually faster than the mouse interface or even than the, the keyboard interface when you've got the two different, the two different jog wheels. And so I wonder, um, if, you know, there are certain cases where this could have that sort of lean back role. Um, but I think that they've, you know, they've tried to make it so you could run Final Cut X entirely from this to some extent. And I'm not sure that's a useful way to go. Well, it has to be useful enough that you don't have to bring that hand back to the keyboard. I mean, they have to duplicate enough functionality. Otherwise, it's a total time saver. Right. But I think that the right way to do that is to target very specific workflows and use cases and not try to be a generalized tool. Yeah. I mean, if they they wanted to make a cool tool for this, I would have made something that had a giant time code readout and a button and a text field. And you like hand it to your assist. You hand it to like your producer while you're screening, and you let them like make notes on the cut mm-hmm. while they're going. Yeah. Um. And it just sticks markers in the timeline with you know a special like disregard this color. Um. But I don't know. I mean, I just I don't see it. Someone's got to come up with a multi-touch editor first. Yeah. And no, it's not touch edit. So do we want to talk about touch edit? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, no. <laughs> we saw it at the Final Cut Super Meet last week. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I love Steenbecks. They're great, but I don't know. If you're that nostalgic, just buy one. They're neat conversation pieces. Put it in your living room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh... it's a shame that it doesn't, like slowly degrade the shot as you edit too. <laughs> like add scratches. Yeah. And then if it gets really bad, you can like pay 40 bucks to have it reprinted. That right. one shot. That's what they should do. That's the way to go. Yeah, in-app the purchase. Hip, the hipstis, hipstomatic model. In-app purchase. <laughs> oh man, this is all cut out with the tape. Let's get another one printed. <laughs> Click yes. the button and it went, yeah, that, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We could totally beat them at their own game. And occasionally the whole thing just catches fire. I never had that happen. Uh, I just had all the. I just remember, like, when you were learning them, like, you just you forget to turn off the tension, and then <laughs> everything goes flying when you cut it. Mm, you're really old. Yeah. No, this was like this was an affectation. <laughs> like, I did this in like film school, you know, and they 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 had. They, couldn't change the name of the school to you know video school and so they had to spend the first three days teaching you film Mm. um so one industry related thing i think is just worth noting is that um active storage has gone out of business in a fairly strange way um if you don't know active storage they jumped in to sort of fill the gap that Apple left when they got out of the X-Serve rate business and later as... It was more than that, right? Right. Well, initially it was just storage. Um, and then, But, I mean, no, they were, like, tacitly given the X-Serve, right? Um, no. Because it was, like, the day the X-Serve disappeared, half the people who worked on it were working for this other company, and they released a product that looked exactly the same. 
Right. I mean, so it was the people who ran a bunch of those projects that Apple left and created active storage. Um, and Apple, I, there was certainly never for having an identical design. Right. Uh, but you know, there've been other people in that space like Nexen who've done the same sort of thing with an identical design and Apple's never pursued them either. So that just may be Hmm. whatever Apple, um, and, you know, officially Apple's storage partner is and has been Promise Storage. Um, but Even in the beginning? I thought they were, like, big nope. on Active Storage for a while. Nope. Huh. Um, okay. so, so, yeah. Um, and then they, after doing the storage thing, and they've got a bunch of different storage products, they've pushed into doing um, more value-added stuff where they were shipping actual, like, one-use servers preloaded with Quantum yeah, Store Next yeah. um, so they could act as essentially XN controllers and... Um, using their own skins and things to really make it easy to man- manage. And then they also did some optimized PCI cards and other things. So they've done a lot of things to support XSAN, primarily XSAN storage on the Mac. Um, and then last week or two weeks ago, they just sort of stopped answering the phone. Um, as of recording this right now, their website gives no indication that they've shut down. But it sounds like most of the staff, at least a lot of the staff, have ended up at quantum um including the former ceo and um there's you know no one's really sure what it means but it seems pretty clear that if you had a service plan with them or you know you have a big install of their gear um you uh should probably be figuring out what your contingency plan is um there's relatively limited part supply you should probably already have a contingency plan but if not you should be scrambling yeah i mean you know quantum was building or active storage was building good stuff at a very low price and so a lot of people did very large installs with their gear especially a lot of shops that don't have a full-time storage person um and so there's going to be a lot of people who are sort of left out to to figure out where they go from here yeah. Um, so it's unfortunate. I mean, they were, you know, an interesting company because they had done a bunch of cool things and uh, by all external indications seemed to be doing pretty well. So I don't know quite what has gone down here. but uh, And it wasn't, I mean, no one's saying it was an acquisition or anything. No, no, definitely not. Uh, Quantum put out a press release saying, we did not buy active storage. Do not call <laughs> us for support. Oh, boy. Um so yeah yeah um so too bad for them and you know hopefully everyone there finds places to go but uh it's also just this case of things like dealing with storage on desktop computers is uh such a niche thing these days um even in big shops um yeah put it all in dropbox well, or you know, you're you you know, there's less and less need for SANS, I think, because network storage has gotten better and faster yeah, and much easier to manage. Yeah. Um, and you know, most of your users are on machines that definitely don't have fiber channel built in, and probably you know, would require don't have a PCI slot. Right, right. So you'd have to yeah. have Thunderbolt PC, you know, Thunderbolt fiber channel, and and you know, your users don't want that because your users are mobile, and so people are sort of solving the problems you used to solve with a big X and in other ways now, and. Um, in data centers, you know, the technology has matured so much again with things like Isilon and other really, you know, big, big metal stuff. There's, um, less need for this sort of bargain price SAN. Um, so, you know, and I think people have also realized that, um, 
storage that that the fact that drives are really cheap is almost inconsequential in the overall cost of storage um you know i hear more and more people talking about putting very large amounts of data on things like amazon s3 which if you just do the math versus buying your own drive arrays doesn't make any sense but when you start factoring in backup and management and you know personnel to maintain all that stuff and power and cooling and you know all these other things actually it starts to look pretty realistic right so that's that's active storage colin you got some chatter um i do this was a post from i think it was an extreme tech um it is a new thing so it's kind of where darpa likes talking about things they do but this seems to be something that might have already made it into use. They won't say exactly. So they they built this, like, cell phone camera array that they can stick on a drone. And what it means is they have just piles and piles and piles of pixels. It's like 18 billion, is that right? Mm-hmm. No, 1.8 billion. Right. Um. And so they have that plus they have, they're able to shoot video. So they do 12 frames a second at 1.8 billion pixels. Um, and what's cool is then they just, they have this interface where they can just center crop it to wherever you want. And so basically it shows you like this crazy wide angle view of, you know, a city and then you just go like, but I want to see this parking lot. And it goes, and you can watch video at like fair, crazy good, you know, you can like resolve people and birds and stuff um, walking around and moving and you can see color and it's like that, but for an entire city all at once, it's kind of like, what was that, that really cheesy effect they had in that Denzel Washington movie where they were doing this with satellites. Except now they can do it. It was like the one where he was... I don't know. But yeah, I mean, so the idea is you don't... You you throw the drone up in the air. You don't have to target a specific area. You you can just spy on everyone all the time and then find them later if you need to. Right. Yeah. England's going to like it. (laughs) Um, We will too. Yeah, unofficially. Uh, Just not as much here as abroad. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's cool. That there's more and more projects that are doing similar things to get gigapixel level images. Um, and there's just sort of a whole new way of thinking about what you can do with that type of data, um, which I think is pretty interesting. Is a billion pixels gigapixel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it just seems really... I don't know. It's cool. I wonder what the focal length is on it. Could you shoot a person with this? Um, I mean, and then like crawl into their pores. I mean, other people have done. There's gigapixel, you know, ground level imagery of cities and things, um, where you can just do some pretty amazing things of sort of zooming in on windows and. Right, but those are mostly like. Those are generally done with still images head. done with uh, yeah with a motorized head. This is yeah doing, doing it with this is many live, sensors and many lenses just like shotgun video. Right. The advantage is then you can like recover motion. 
Right. No, it's very cool. I mean, I... Uh, this has to be the next thing we're going to do for, like, bullet time. Oh, so, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. What, uh, what is it, though? What's the effect? Because I want to be there. Um, I want to sell these to, to Cameron. So it generates 600 gigabits a second. Yeah, that's uh, fine. SD card. Well, I mean, a couple of them. SD six, card array. Six petabytes a day for one of these you know, flying over a city. That's not sort of unreasonable. But what's the... <laughs> do you land and swap drives? Or what? <laughs> well, no, they're talking about maybe um, building in a 100 gigabit per second wireless link. Wow. Um. But that's only a that's six, a six of like what they need. Just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they're using vector codecs. Yet. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely want one. Yeah, no, I would love to, um, you know. Can we build one of these? Yeah, actually, probably. So what are, the, what are the optics on it, though? Like That's what I need to figure out. I mean, is it just one giant lens and then you just stick all the sensors next to each other? I feel like, I mean, I feel like you need each individual sensor to be on a very telephoto lens because of the, I guess it depends on. But I mean, here's the thing. If you look at the image, it's definitely round. I mean, there's like knockouts where they don't have data. Right. But it looks like a grid with a, like there's a noticeable vignette around the outside, which makes me think it's a single optic path. Yeah. I don't know, but I want one. We should start building one. Hmm. Okay. I'm on board. The like multi camera array stuff is really interesting. Yeah, very. Yeah, let's do it. It's interesting that they have such color discrepancies. I just don't think I mean you notice it mostly happens in the water mm-hmm. where there's no detail. I suspect there's a clue there to how they're processing it, but I don't know what the clue is. Yeah. Also, it seems very patterned. Well, I mean, I assume that's per sensor. Right, but I'm saying, like, it's light blue, light blue, light oh, blue, right, right, right. line of dark, light blue, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. It seems repetitive. I don't know why. Well, it could potentially have to do with just how things are arranged behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I want one. Yeah, me too. It'd be fun to take your family photos with. Mm. We want them in 3D, though, so I need two. Yeah. How great would that be, though? Because then, like, after the fact, you could zoom in and see what Dad was thinking. (laughs) Pretty sure that's how it works. Um, you know what else would be good? Oh, God. I don't know why I'm doing all these uh, segues today. <laughs> those aren't segues. Those are, like, ticks. That's a speech impediment call. <laughs> someone said this morning that the, the Google glasses were, like, uh, wearing a hundred segues on your face. <laughs> Um, anywho, my, my chatter this week is, um, that my dog is here is, uh, that Cornell has a project going for 3d printing food and that sounds pretty awesome. 
Uh, yeah, this was kind of... So, is this... I'm assuming this is just fake stock footage here. Yes. Okay. I want... Yeah. This is, like, the thing that really makes sense for 3D printing, if they could figure it out in such a way that it wasn't horribly gross. Like, 3D printing is made for disposable things that you want huge amounts of variation in, which is, like... Food, by definition. Right. You need to get that a couple times a day, and you don't want the same damn thing every time. Yeah, I mean, right now they're just printing, like, gruel, but... Um, right, they're printing, like, jello, but with different colors. Like, they can mix in colors and flavors. Right, but they're talking about, yeah, maybe eventually being able to do more interesting things also in interesting shapes and even different textures and things. It's cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would, I would go for one of these. So much better than getting the food from the, the thing it was actually from. Yeah. Well, this way we don't have to, like, know anything about where our food comes from. We just have a machine. What do you mean? We know exactly where our food comes it from. It comes yes. from the machine. It goes from the machine. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um... As my dog is sitting here wiggling desperately for attention, I think that wraps up our discussion for the week. Oh, hey, if anyone who listens to our podcast happens to live in Charleston, South Carolina, drop me a line because I don't know. Uh, that was what... them right there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I clear. Oh, there we go. I'm still learning how this pebble thing works. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, drop me a line. I'm going to be there this weekend, and I have no idea what one does in Charleston. So. Mm-hmm. Tea? I, I'm tea, grits, biscuits. I got all that covered, but there's, you know. You're going to go visit Paula Dean? Does she live there? I don't know, does she? I, I assume. Well, you're a left coast liberal, so you just sort of assume that it's all one place. Exactly. Yeah. They, that's where the Derby is, too, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's nothing yeah. I can say that I won't regret. Okay. Talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>